Is it better to be single or married? Well, depends, I guess, on your particular circumstances, whether your marriage is going well or not, or whether you enjoy your singleness or not. But that question is an interesting question. I think it, it occupies a lot of our thought space, especially when you're you know, in your 20s or post-grad and you're trying to figure all that out. What's fascinating is that Paul, when he talks about singleness and marriage, doesn't, doesn't accept that framework of pitting one against the other. Instead, he says, both are states that the Lord has given you, that these are providentially ordained, you're going to be single or you're going to be married, and that whatever state you find yourself in, you must cultivate obedience to the Lord. That service to God is the goal, not pitting one against the other, but seeking in each one, wherever you find yourself, to honor Christ. And really the question that Paul is asking is not whether it's better to be single or married, but ask yourself, why are you choosing singleness? Or why are you choosing marriage? The why matters. That the Christian is free to do either. But the goal would be that he would use his freedom to do either in alignment with the mission of God and the purposes of of God. This is Understanding First Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul addresses three groups of people. First, he addresses the unmarried, the widows. Then he addresses the married. And finally, he addresses people who are married, but are in Uh, relationships, or they are married to somebody who's a pagan, who's not a Christian. And he uses theology to reason through how you practically apply the gospel and the message of Christ and, and, and what that entails to these specific life circumstances. And then he kind of does a broader picture where he says, how should we view our lot in life in general, beyond just singleness, marriage, and divorce, but as slaves, as workers, as people living in this world that is passing away and the kingdom of God is coming in? How do we view our present life in light of the future? And that kind of is the, the, the underlying theme underneath this entire chapter. It's not primarily a treatise on marriage, divorce, and singleness, although it, it, it speaks powerfully to those areas, but it's primarily about the way we view our lot in life and how our eschatology, our study of the last things, how our hope of the resurrection and the return of Christ colors and reshapes how we live within our present circumstances. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each person has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. 
To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 7 begins with a phrase that's being passed around in the church at Corinth. 
And this phrase is this, uh, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So they're saying that as kind of a, a way that they deal with sexual morality. We're just going to say that men should not have any sexual relations with a woman. And Paul responds by saying, that's not exactly what you should be doing. Because it is good for a married man to have sexual relations with his wife. And Paul rephrases it. He says, instead, you should probably say this. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. That's in verse 6. In other words, celibacy and sex within marriage are both gifts to be received and not tools to elevate spiritual status. So don't pit one against the other. It is good for an unmarried man to refrain from sexual relations with a woman, but it's not good for a married man to do so with his wife. So don't let the improper use of something eliminate its proper use. Sex outside of marriage is fornication, but sex within marriage honors the mutual authority a husband has over his wife's body and his wife has over his body, which is a revolutionary thing to say, that a wife actually has rights over her husband's body. It is also a help against Satan's temptation to sexual morality. Right? Paul is saying that if you're single, avoid sex with all women so that you don't fall into sexual morality. But if you're married, have Frequent sex with your wife to avoid sexual immorality and vice versa. So it doesn't matter what status you are. It matters how you live in holiness within those particular statuses. It's not one is more holy than the other. But how do I live holy within the circumstances I find myself in? Now, in verses 6 through 16, Paul starts to unpack a little more what he means by celibacy and marriage. So celibacy, being unmarried, is good if it is for the right reasons, right? Marriage is good if it is for the right reasons. So again, Paul is talking to these categories of people, to those who are unmarried and widows, and I'll talk a little bit more about what he specifically means about that, and to those who are married, and then he actually has a subgroup under the people who are married that we'll get to as well. But for that first group, to the widows and to the unmarried, You have to understand that in the first century, there wasn't this class of people called single people like we have today, where people who have never been married. Um, Generally, what he's talking about are widows and widowers. In fact, the word for unmarried is agamoi, which probably refers to widowers. So these are men and women who have lost their spouses to death. And the question is whether they need to remarry or whether they can live the rest of their lives in singleness, in celibacy. So it's hard to import modern connotations of singleness, which would have been foreign to the first century, into a first century text. We have to keep that in mind. But for the context, he's saying if you're a widow, if you have lost your spouse, you have a choice. You can remain unmarried or you can get married if you want. And here's the consideration. Whether you choose to be married or not depends upon your self-control. If you have the self-control, it's actually good to remain single. You can actually do a lot more for the Lord. You can devote yourself to the Lord. But if you burn with passion, if you have a deep desire to be married, it's no sin. Go ahead. You can go and be married. No problem. Now, it is likely that Paul himself was a widow. And many commentators speculate that because Paul himself was a Pharisee, and Pharisees were expected to be married, that Paul was someone who either his wife left him because of his conversion to Christianity, or she died and he just doesn't mention it. Regardless, it's not a crazy thought that Paul was married at one point. 
But he's saying, look, you could be like me. If you have the self-control, if God has gifted you the self-control to remain single, man, do it. That's awesome. You can do that. There's much good you can do. But it is no sin if you choose to marry. Now, he goes to the married people and he says, now, if you are married, here's the deal. Stay married. The Lord commands it. Jesus himself said marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman. And divorce is permitted in the Old Testament, but it's not preferred. And it's only a last-ditch resort for the sake of the hardness of our hearts. It's a concession to sin. But generally, marriage is meant to be a lifelong union. So stay married if you are married. And if you do divorce, know this, that you are not allowed to remarry. Right? He says, you can, if you're going to divorce your spouse, you got to stay unmarried or you got to find a way to work it out with them. And that's a pretty blatant thing that he says. Now, there are caveats to this, and we'll get to those in a moment. But just to show you, each has its own uh, place in the Christian life. Both are gifts. If you can remain single, remain single. If you are married, just stay married. It's not about a revolution in the social structure of the world, but it's rather learning how to be holy in the situations that you find yourself in. Now, Paul gets to an issue that Christ never dealt with. So Christ dealt with Jewish couples, but Paul is dealing with Gentile couples, specifically Gentile couples where one spouse is becoming a Christian, but the other is still a pagan. Right? So you can imagine that's probably a bunch of people at Corinth. One person is saved through the preaching of the gospel, but they still have this unbelieving pagan spouse they married before their conversion. So what do they do there? And Paul applies the same principle. He goes, look, don't try to radically change your circumstances right? But go into those same circumstances with a different approach. So if you have an unbelieving spouse, don't divorce them for two reasons. One, your holy presence is a blessing to your children that you have with your spouse. And two, your holy presence will be a blessing to your spouse and may even be the way that God transforms them and saves them. You could be a means through which God saves them. You don't know that. So you're called to peace. Stay in your marriage to your unbelieving husband or wife, right? Now, here's the caveat. But if they abandon you, if they leave you, then you're free. Then the divorce is granted and you are no longer bound. Now, I think to be no longer bound to your spouse means you no longer have any marital obligations to them whatsoever, which means that you are free to remarry and it would not be adultery. That seems to me to be the, the most sensible reading of the text, although many smart people, smarter than me, would disagree with that. But you can still see even here, the Christian is not to be the one initiating the divorce. Now, are there cases where that could happen? That's a tricky subject. But at least from this text, it says, if you're a Christian, stay married. If you divorce, uh, then you cannot remarry. But if you are divorced, if someone divorces you and they have abandoned you and they're no longer a Christian, you are free to remarry. You are no longer bound. Now, Jesus does talk about in the Gospels about an exception clause where uh, a divorce is granted where you're no longer bound and you can remarry if your spouse commits sexual immorality. Um, primarily thinking about adultery. So in that case, if your spouse cheats on you, there could be a legitimate case where you can initiate a divorce because the covenant has been broken. But there's still a hard teaching here where if that is not the case and you simply just don't like your spouse anymore or you don't feel the feelings you used to have and you divorce them, 
you're not allowed to be remarried. You, 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 you're not allowed to just go and, and divorce someone because you want to be married to somebody else. That's not permissible. And I think the Bible is very clear about that. And, and this is something that is difficult but necessary to talk about. Now, Paul goes from talking to the widows and to the married and then to those who are in the subcategory of married to an unbeliever and says the main principle again is live your ordinary life in a new way. Right? Enter into your already existing circumstance with a new perspective. Christianity is not about a radical change in external status, but internal status. So don't quibble about circumcision or uncircumcision, but focus on obedience. Don't try to be free from slavery unless the opportunity presents itself. Then you can. If you're a servant uh, and someone says you can be free, man, take it. Right? But don't make your whole life about moving out of your current social condition. Remember that being a servant or a slave of Christ is really freedom. That you're allowed to say, you know what? I can be in this lower position because I know that Jesus Christ first humbled himself and was exalted and God will exalt me too. And that ultimately my master is Christ. And Christ is telling me to stay in my post and be faithful where I'm at. Not start a revolution, not try to radically change my status in life, but to entrust my circumstances to his sovereign and good purpose, right? Our eyes should be on the future and not fixed on the present. Now, Paul speaks about this present distress or this appointed time that's growing short. We don't know exactly what he's talking about, but it adds a contextual layer to this. He's saying that that when you consider marriage or singleness, you should also consider the circumstances. So there could have been a grain famine, which we know happened in the 50s and 60s, right around when Paul wrote this. It could be uh, escalating persecution. It could be Paul knowing that the temple will be destroyed very shortly. Thinking about the Olivet Discourse and Jesus saying the time is growing short and all these crazy things are going to happen and the Gentiles are going to trample Jerusalem and all that stuff. So it could be any of those instances. But the point is Paul is saying consider the circumstances. Right? Uh, if you are single, it might be the more prudent option. Right? It might be better to be single in this, in this case. So if you're engaged to a girl, you might say, hey, because of the suffering, because of the grain shortage, whatever's going on, maybe we shouldn't be married. And Paul says, hey, that might be that might work. You won't have to worry about the, the problems that marriage will bring in or, or the anxieties that marriage brings. But even then he says, but look, man, if you really want to marry her, you can do it. You can do it. Just know what you're signing up for. Count the cost. It may be better to be single in this particular situation, but you are still free and open uh, to be married if you want to. Marriage should not be taken lightly. You need to consider a lot of factors. But it is up to the individual conscience of the Christian within a particular circumstance whether they want to be married or not. But again, you know, if, if this is not saying prolong adulthood and that counts as the gift of singleness. I think the general expectation of Paul's day was to get married young and to be able to be a father or a mother relatively young, to have the wherewithal and the character to be able to raise a family. And that in certain circumstances, it's better to be single because of the context, because of suffering. But it's not talking about sort of the way that people are delaying marriage today for the sake of a career or because they're overly uh, picky on superficial things with a spouse or our disconnection from one another because of the internet and industrialization, all these kinds of things. Again, 1 Corinthians 7 is not really a manual about modern day singleness because it's really talking about widows 
and those who find themselves in a rare circumstance. Um, But I think the broader message again applies. Christianity is not about a radical change in your external circumstances, but a radical change in your internal perspective and your internal character that allows you to live in your present circumstances in a new way. Whether you are a widow, whether you are currently single, whether you are married or whether you are married to a non-believer or whether you have been divorced, there's a way to be faithful within those contexts. But we can't understand that unless we first understand that this present order is passing away, that Christ has called us to something higher, and that our goal is to seek to honor him where we are at. 